0: Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship, because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. Glad to be here with you once again as we continue our series uh titled Ju Pick where you have asked a question so we are doing our best to answer them from a biblical perspective and you have ans- uh, asked excuse me you have asked some really difficult questions some tough questions and today may actually be the one that feels the toughest to sit through or listen maybe maybe the roughest would be the best way to explain it because today what we're going to talk about will seem very countercultural, And so this may be one of those things that you have to gauge what the Bible says and then where you're at and, and try to embrace what the Bible says because we don't always like what the Bible says, right? I, I don't like everything the Bible says, but that has nothing to do with whether or not I should follow it or listen to it and embrace it. And what I've learned is that when I'm dealing with a difficult topic, it's not really about the Bible. It's really about who, me, where I need to change, where I'm being challenged and the things that I, that I got to work through, and we all have issues to work through, every one of us, so it's, it's okay. But today, if what we talk about today seems pretty difficult, perhaps it'll show you how far away you are from the biblical understanding of these topics, because today we're talking about marriage. Now, there were two things asked about Marriage. First, interfaith marriage, and second is divorce. Now, about divorce, it's impossible for me to address without the fear of you hearing something wrong. So it's impossible for me to address all issues on divorce and talk about divorce pretty specifically without having a one-on-one conversation with you because situations are different. And I definitely do not want you to hear something wrong or take something wrong or me just be me and say something wrong. And it causes this whole relationship to go sideways. So about divorce, listen, if you got questions, if you're thinking about a divorce, if you're going through a divorce, if you've been through a divorce, I will spend as much time as you need walking with you talking through it with you figuring it out from a biblical perspective and if you didn't know everything's 100% confidential i'm not going to use you for my next sermon i promise <laughs> maybe 2 weeks from now no and i'll j- joking is i would never do that and so if you're dealing with that I, it's hard to answer just this blanket statement you you guys remember the questions you asked so if you need to work through some of that just please come to me we'll talk confidentially about anything you're dealing with. But as I thought about these topics about interfaith marriage and divorce, I thought, well, how can I talk about divorce in general and then also speak to these? Because we're gonna do a marriage sermon series further down the road. So I don't want to take too much time to talk about marriage during this sermon series. So I said, how how can we talk about interfaith and, and divorce in the same sermon without actually having two different sermon series? To my surprise, what I found out was. Interfaith marriage and divorce all stem from the same problem. I didn't know that. I hadn't thought about it before, to be honest with you. And what we're going to find is they both have the common element of unfaithfulness. And here's what we're going to see today. Our unfaithfulness to God, our individual unfaithfulness to God, will result in us being unfaithful in many other areas of life to our spouse, to our children, and in fact, every other relationship. In fact, there is a passage that speaks to both of these issues together. And I said, wow, check this out. But it's found in Malachi, and if you've never been through Malachi... Well, it's a fun book to go through, especially if you're sensitive. I ask you to read it because he is very direct and he will get all, all, all in your feelings. He is very direct. He's pretty good, though. Check out what he says here. Malachi 2.10. Start with this. Malachi 2.10, it says, do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? Why would we profane, rhetorical questions, why would we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? We're going to start there in Malachi chapter 2. He starts with these rhetorical questions stating, listen, we all come from the same place. We all have the same father. He's the God that created us, right? He's the creator. He's God. He's our father. He made us. And then specifically talks about them being the covenant people. Okay, the covenant, remember, the covenant goes all the way back to Genesis, right? Genesis 12 with Abraham, Abraham's calling, where God said he was going to form um, a nation out of Abraham, create this entire group of people that would bless the world. And he reaffirmed that covenant over the years. So, what he's pointing to is their spirit, spiritual heritage. Their spiritual heritage in this relationship, this covenant. And what he's saying is their unfaithfulness to each other is based that they're profaning. They're acting like this covenant with God doesn't matter. They're acting like what God says about things doesn't matter. And because they're ignoring what God says about things, their human relationships are now a mess. Should that surprise us? If we ignore how God says things should be, if we ignore what God says about these issues, he's saying, well, now the rest of it's a mess. They're profaning the covenant by training their human relationships as if they're not based first on their relationship with God. They're acting basically as if God doesn't matter or what God says doesn't matter. We would say, well, how? How dare they? We'd turn up our nose, wouldn't we? How dare they ignore God? We would never. Or is that just me who thinks like that at first? And then I start reading and I just have to go back and ask for forgiveness at the very beginning? Yeah. So just to give you a peek at where we're going, the people were dealing with the same things we're dealing with today. The people of God, the people of God didn't particularly care for how God defined marriage. They didn't particularly care for what God said about marriage. They were deciding they wanted to marry whoever they wanted to marry, and they were trying to figure out how to get to the marriages they already agreed to. Aren't people talking about the same things today? Yes, we follow and we try go start over. I know you're following. Yes. Yeah, we're still talking about these same things. So he addresses the issue. And just to give you a heads up, they readdress the issue in the New Testament. It repeats itself. Here's what I need you to see. This idea of questioning what God says about marriage isn't new. This idea of the people of God questioning God about what he says about marriage isn't new people of God have always struggled with marriage because marriage, well, is my wife in here? Yeah. It's easy. <laughs> right, marriage is hard, isn't it? Marriage is difficult. So the people of God have always been like, you can't, this can't be right. Right? Because it's hard and it's challenging. So he addresses it. And listen, I'm not speaking to, and the Bible doesn't speak to, what non-people of God, what non-covenant people, we'll call them what non-Christians do in their marriages. The Bible doesn't speak to that. The Bible speaks to covenant people. And so this is for Christians. Those of you who have pledged your allegiance to Jesus Christ as your Lord, your King, and your Savior. This is what marriage, this is the problem that they're dealing with. God has plenty to say about marriage for his covenant people, his relationship people. He says this, verse 11. He says, Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah, that's the nation, that's the people of the nation, have desecrated the sanctuary. Mm. Desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. Twelve. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. I find this amusing. Just the last part. Even if he's a big giver, get rid of him. <laughs> right? Because he knows people. But, you know, they give a lot. He's like, no. E- even, even if they're big givers, uh-uh. This needs to be dealt with. And this sounds so harsh. The people of God were intermarrying people of different faiths. And God declared, this is what challenged me. God declared that they have been unfaithful to whom? To him. You're marrying people from different faiths. You were cheating on me, God said. And this blew my mind because this is forceful. He's saying you're not you're not just sinning; you're being unfaithful because it's going to lead you somewhere, and it's going to produce something in your children you don't see coming, you don't think's coming because you're in in love, <laughs> and you you can't see it, but God already sees it. He says you're cheating when you're first love if you're in relationship or if you're trying to marry somebody. It is not a follower of God. Paul says the same thing. Look at 2 Corinthians. He says this: Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wicked have in common? If one person's been declared righteous, the other person isn't interested in God. What, what good's going to come out of two people with opposing views there? And he says, or what fellowship can light and excuse me, what fellowship can light have with darkness? He says it's not going to work out. And listen, God's not trying to ruin, ruin your fun. When I was growing up, I thought all God wanted to do was stop me from doing the things that were fun and wanted me to do all the boring things, like go to church. That's what I thought. But then as you get older, you realize, well, that wasn't fun at all. In fact, the consequences I'm dealing with from those of those things I called fun are not fun. It's rather hard. So you can't explain. Ignore what God says about this and expect to have a great marriage. Take Solomon, for instance, right? He was the wisest person to ever live outside of Jesus. Why? Because he asked for wisdom and God blessed him. He wrote bestsellers. You still read them. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, right? You know those are in the Bible, yes? Okay, yeah. Books that's been around for thousands, thousands of years. I mean, thousands of years his stuff is still being read. He had everything. His father handed him the kingdom, handed him a prosperous kingdom, the equivalent of your father handing you over an awesome business, and all you have to do is just sit back and make it even awesomer. right? He had everything handed to him, but he picked up his habit his dad had, which is what? Yeah, yeah, bad sexual relationships with multiple women. It didn't work out well. Well, his son saw this. And did his son do the same things? Kind of, just a whole lot worse. He got caught up with thousand women. It's like no joke. He just kept this sin of his father. He just kept it going. And he ignored what was true. He knew what the Bible said. Again, he was wise. But listen, he said, well, if I I marry all these women, especially these foreign women, well, I'm a king. And and what, what is a better way to have peaceful relationships with another nation than marrying one of their one of their, royal, their royalty. So if, I, if we intermarry, then we're going to have peace. So he thought and he said, hey, I'll just ignore God for the greater good of peace. Sounds great, doesn't it? You ever done something wrong and you justified it in your mind why it has to be right? God, you're wrong on this one. You just didn't put the clause. I know there's a clause. I figured out the clause. We're going to go in the name of peace. But God already warned them, Israel, at the very beginning about this. Look at what Deuteronomy says. He says, do not intermarry with them. This is the people of the land. He says, do not give your daughters or sons to take their daughters for your sons, for they will. Here's the problem. A lot of people try to use this, and just we're going to touch on it for two seconds. They say that, that um, you, you may have heard this, that, that Christians can't marry people of different ethnicities or different colors or different. That's hogwash. That has nothing to do with the Bible says. What the Bible's saying is not to marry people of different faiths. That's the issue. The rest is just racism, which needs to be ignored. He says, for they will, or be dealt with. You get what I was saying. He says, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. This is what God's always been concerned about. Turning your children away from the faith. Allowing a spouse to lead you away from the faith. Look what he says, though. They would turn your uh, turn your children away from following me to serve other gods, and the Lord's anger will burn against you. I don't know what that means, but I don't want to find out. I'm just saying, that's what it says. And will quickly destroy you. So God has always been concerned about his followers being in relationships with non-believers for the fear of turning them and leading them away. Listen, he cares about your children. He cares about your legacy. And Solomon ignored this. His entire kingdom that his father handed him, destroyed. Broke up, torn apart, given it away because of his unfaithfulness. And look at his legacy, 1 Kings 11. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his David his father had been. That's where he ends up. They led him astray. They led him toward these other gods. And there was a payment for that. The kingdom was stripped from his family because of this. You see, God created marriage. He created this union. He designed it. Therefore, we follow his guidance on it. And and seriously, why chance? Why chance allowing someone to pull you or your child away from the Lord? Why have that interaction? I mean, why why chance it? God says it's not going to turn out the way you think. And perhaps you go, listen, let's just be honest. You go, listen, I don't think it's going to happen with my child or my granddaughter. I, it's not going to happen with my grand, It's just not going to happen to us. Can you just tell God you're smarter than him then? Just say, God, I think I'm smarter than you. Here's what we're going to do. And when those words come out of your lips, I want you to see how that feels when you try to declare something like that. right? Just, but be honest. Tell them where you're at and what you're working through because what is marriage anyways? Remember, marriage wasn't created by our society. Our culture doesn't define marriage. God created the the whole thing, therefore he gets to define it. And what he says at the very beginning, there's a reason it starts off like the family unit is extremely important in the Bible. It starts with God designing the family unit and he calls the family unit and he continues using the family unit. This was God's ordained vehicle to, to use. So marriage is the union of one man, the union of one woman, where they enter into a lifelong covenant together. They make a vow of loyalty and love with each other. And what's the purpose of it? Does God have something to say? Well, he does. Let's look at a couple points. Number one, the purpose of marriage, like everything else in life, should glorify God. That will make you think, won't it? Does my marriage glorify God? Is God even involved in my marriage? If people saw my marriage, would they see the reflection of God or Satan? You like what depends on which one of us they look at, right? (laughs) Create a little bit of humor. okay? But our goal in life is to bring (laughs) glory to God in all that we do. Our marriages should be a witness to the world of our God of who he is. The Bible, all throughout the Old Testament the New Testament, the Bible uses the marriage relationship as an analogy between our relationship with him. And Paul says that our marriages are a picture of Christ's relationship with the church. I mean, marriage is a big deal. And the reason why the church has lost its authority on speaking about these issues is because our marriages are a mess. Society's like, I'm not, what are we listening to y'all for? Y'all don't have it figured out. We've seen them. No. But our marriages should bring glory to God. Number two, companionship. All right? We should be friends with our spouse. Some of y'all forgot that a long time ago, didn't you? Be a companionships. We should be friends. They should be our friends. When God created man, it said it wasn't good that he was alone. Look at this. Genesis 2.20. It says, But for Adam no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took out one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. That is why a man, verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and united to his wife, and they become one flesh. When they come together, they now have a new family unit. And mom and dad, I know you want to give advice, but give them a break. Right? They're supposed to be, they're supposed to leave their father and mother. Some of us have overbearing mother and fathers-in-laws, don't we? Y'all want me to preach on that on a different day? You say, Yes, I will invite my mother and father-in-law. Just give me the date. No, but but they united. You become a new family. It doesn't mean you don't help. But you understand. So that's the picture to the, the companionship. And listen, I need you to understand this word helper. Th- this, this isn't a bad thing. If, if you're reading this and think, "Oh, well, that's just oppressing women," you're misunderstanding the Bible. The word "helper" here is also used of God helping us. When God helps us, does that make Him inferior to us? Yeah, it doesn't say a suitable slave for Him. It says helper because the man couldn't what. We were incompetent. We couldn't do it alone. It says that I'm. It's. This same word is used of God, and people try to turn this, especially some movements in our society go, well, the Bible's oppressing women." No, it's not. It's saying men couldn't do it alone. Men, do you already know that? Hold on. Women, do you already know that? Yeah, we're like, Yeah, of course. I think that's why God started off with men. If he had started off with women, he wouldn't have made us. He'd be like, I don't know what those guys are for. But helper here, this isn't an oppression. If somebody's leading you to act like the Bible's oppressing women, I promise you they don't know how to read it. They're misusing it. Because God is our helper. He's not inferior to us. In fact, it's his strength and why he can help. Does that make sense? So this is not a bad thing. That's the way it is. But the picture is that men and women come together to create this family unit. Number two, three, we see procreation. Yeah, to have godly offspring. We'll. Our charge from the very beginning was this. Uh, It's not up here, I don't think. But it's Genesis 128. It says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So us coming together and and producing um, offspring is what God asked. We'll talk more about that in a minute. And then lastly, we have sexual intimacy. If you weren't here for the series, I did a five-week series called Let's Talk About Sex. Remember, God created sex. Sex isn't a bad thing. He created our hormones, he created all of that stuff. but when it, it needs to be used in the proper context of marriage. You see, marriage and the family unit, they were designed by God and created by God. This is extremely important. This is a general biblical understanding of marriage and why God even made it. You see, marriage isn't just about being in love. Because how long does that last? The whole time for us, I'm talking about y'all. We're perfect. We look like a Hollywood movie. (laughs) An action movie most of the time. Yeah, but marriage, biblical family units, this is important. Society doesn't create healthy marriages. Healthy families create healthy societies. It starts with understanding why God even made it. What was the purpose? What are we supposed to be doing? And us as a church, our healthy families, can impact this culture it can make a difference the people she looking at the church going man they got that figured out what do we need to learn from them and amos asked this question amos 3 3 he says can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction if you and your spouse don't agree about your number one priority is to glorify god and follow jesus you will be going on two different paths you either fight the whole time about it. You go, well, no, they just love me. They'll support it. No, they won't. That doesn't last. Wait till you get married. It goes away real quick. Right? People start fighting. And if Jesus isn't your number one goal, they will pull you towards them. And then they will pit it against you and Jesus. Them or Jesus. And that's a battle. You, marriage is hard enough. You don't need to fight that one. You want someone helping, guiding you towards Jesus. Someone encouraging you to follow him. You see, these intimate relationships that you give people, where you give yourself to people, they are where you are most vulnerable in this world. They're not easy. Marriage and these relationships are hard enough on their own. You do not need the complexity about fighting about Jesus. It will not work well. And if you find yourself, and if you are in a situation where you've come to Christ, y'all got married, and then one of you have come to Christ, and you're figuring out what to do now that one of you are a believer and the other is not a believer. Read 1 Corinthians 7. And me mean, you can talk as long as you possibly need about what your next steps to be. But 1 Corinthians 7 outlines all of those for you and pray. Let's continue on to Malachi. He's not done. Malachi 2.13. He said, another thing you do. He's not done. He starts listening them out. You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accept them with pleasure for your hands. So here's the picture. God's not accepting whatever's going on and they're having a hard time in life. And they know they're having a hard time and so they go to God with tears. God, life's not going well. They're crying to him. They're wailing because it's like, God, life's not going well. Things aren't going well. Lord, I need you to do something. Lord, you're not doing something. Something's Wrong. And Malachi tells them, verse 14, he says, And you ask why? It's because the Lord is the witness, this is important witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. He says, You want to know why your life's not going well? Because of how you treat your wife, because of how that marriage is going. You see, God knows what's going on in your marriage. He's a witness to it. And what happens in your marriage does matter. And while this idea of unfaithfulness could be cheating, it's much deeper than that because he, doesn't, he points to their marriage co- covenant. He points to the fact that they're partners. He's talking about this whole idea of, of what their marriage looks like. He's like, you're being faithless in your marriage. It's not just talking about cheating. Like, it's not what's going on. And we need to pause here for a minute and realize, do you know God is a guest at your wedding? That far too many people worry about where they're getting married, what color their wedding, what the cake looks like, all that other stuff. and Don't even think about where their marriage is headed. Or think about where your marriage is heading. Are you going to the same place? Far more important. And God's saying, I'm a witness of what's going on in your life, and it's not okay. We also need to point out that husbands, God does care how you treat his daughters. Do you remember at the beginning he said, don't you have one father? Hmm. You see, he points to their agreement about loyalty and love. He, He points to their marriage covenant, which means their relationship roles. And I'm not exactly sure what's going on back then, but we can speak about what goes on today. You see, many husbands are unfaithful to their spouse today by ignoring their leadership roles in the home. And listen, men, if you didn't know this, husbands, men, you're getting married, think about marriage, whatever that looks like. There is absolutely no getting out of for your biblical role as the leader of your home. You are called to lead. Regardless if you do it or not, you are responsible for it. And if you don't take it serious, read Ephesians chapter 5, see how serious it is. You are to be the leader of your home. This is your biblical responsibility. And I know some people would break it out, well, just spiritual. Listen, I don't understand this idea of spiritual over here and everything else over here. Your spiritual life should be your everything, is it not? Is God not your everything? Your goal is to glorify God and all that you should be the leader. It doesn't mean you need to do everything. That's bad leadership, isn't it? But we'll talk about what that looks like because this is your biblical responsibility. This is your natural God-given responsibility just as women are given the responsibility to carry a child. It doesn't matter how much I want to carry a child. Guess what? It's not happening, is it? If we're not clear about how all that works, I'm just like, you know, it's not happening. Right? And, and as, a, as, as, as the husband, I say, well, I don't, I don't want to be the leader. I might not like it. Well, I can promise you during pregnancy, Jessica didn't always like being pregnant either. But it didn't matter. That was her responsibility. That's the role that God gave her. God gave the man, the husband, a leadership role in their family. And if for some reason we need to stop, and if for some reason the first thing in your mind you think of a dictator-type leader, please pick up a leadership book. That's never a good leadership model. No one is suggesting you act that a woman is property. Please don't hear any of that. There's plenty of leadership books out today if you need to understand what leadership is or how to be a good leader. But husband, your role is to be the leader of your family. And I've tried being a dictator leader. It never worked. Y'all ever tried it? I said, woman, go cook me dinner. She's never once done it. And if she did do it, I wouldn't eat it. She's been watching way too many murder mystery documentaries. and I'm like, I'm not, there's no way I would try that. It just wouldn't happen. But listen, I'm not sure your experience, but I've led in business, I've led in the military, I've led nonprofits, church world, obviously, and I can promise you the most challenging leadership I've ever faced is in the home, because they know you. And boy, women, my wife at least, she has a memory, she can pull back all sorts of things. Leading is challenging, but it's the most rewarding in your home, the most rewarding thing You can do. Husbands, I don't care how important your job is. Your priority is to lead at home. And leadership doesn't happen by accident. Leadership isn't passive. Leadership is intentional. And again, leadership doesn't mean you do everything. That's a bad leader, isn't it? But you are supposed to be faithful. Next slide. Be faithful to your role as the leader of your home. That's what it means. It's the marriage covenant. You are agreeing, whether you knew it or not, to be the leader of your home. So be, fulfill your role as the leader of your home. Be faithful to your spouse. He continues. He says this in 2.15. He says, has not one God made you? You belong to him, body and spirit. He sets the pace is what that means. And what does God seek? What does the one God seek? Godly offspring. Did you know he wanted that? Did you know he wanted you and has clearly told you he wants you to raise godly children? So what do you do if you're supposed to raise godly children? Be on guard. Protect. Be on guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. So he appeals to the ownership of the life and he says, listen, I've created you. And I desire, because I've told you to multiply from the very beginning, and I've told you I want you to multiply, but I want you to continue to raise these children in a godly environment. And we know, as Christians, a godly environment means to be followers, fully devoted followers of Jesus. He wants you to raise your kids. The number one thing is this doesn't say good baseball player, doesn't say good basketball player, doesn't mean good at grades, it doesn't mean getting to college, doesn't mean good at business, whatever else you're focused on. He's not worried about that. He can give your kids the ability to jump 20 foot in the air if they needed it. He can take care of that. He wants you to worry about this. Discipleship starts at the home. To protect. So number two, men, husbands, not men, but husbands, lead your family towards a godly life. That's what you are to do. That's what he seeks, to lead your family into a godly life. He wants your children to know him. And parents, I know I don't have teens, but I was a teen, so I know how they act, and I was a really bad one. But please understand, your children are your children. They're teens. You don't have to give them or do everything. Help them understand that church, that Jesus, is important. It does matter. Encourage them to follow the Lord. And notice what he says. Well, we'll go back to that verse later, but he says, Part of raising children is being faithful to your wife. He said, so protect your children and be faithful to your wife. Being faithful to your wife is part of that. Fulfilling that marriage covenant matters. What you do in your marriage does directly impact your kids. And you know this, but think about it. My baby girl sees how I treat her mom, sees how I treat her mother. My baby girl sees what a husband does. My baby girl is probably going to think what I do is normal. Do I want my daughter marrying somebody like me? I can answer the question. Actually, yes. No, I mean, how I treat her mom, I'd be good with it. If they treated, if if a man treats my daughter the way I treat my wife, I'm completely good with that. Can you say the same? You're teaching your kids. They're going to watch you. You are responsible for their spiritual growth. Discipleship starts at home, so be on your guard, which is the last one, is to protect your family. He says it a few times. Protect your family, so fathers lead. Be faithful as the leader of your home. Lead your family towards a godly life and protect your family. This means be on guard. And look, you can put in security systems. You can use your Second Amendment right. You can do whatever you think. But what's most important to guard your home is to take an active role in their life. And disciple your children. Have spiritual conversations with your children. Protect them from ungodly things. To protect means to be intentional. To speak into their life. To speak into their life from the overflow of your spiritual life. Say, hey, I love Jesus. Do you? Let's talk about this. Let's work through this. This goes for your spouse as well. Look at 16. He says, the man who hates and divorces his wife... That's what he thinks about divorce. Says the Lord God of Israel does violence to the one he should protect. Divorce, it's not a good thing. Says the Lord God Almighty, so be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Fathers, listen, do not be passive. Be intentional about guarding your children and your wife. Wives, allow them to protect. Allow them to do what God has designed them to do. And sure they aren't perfect. You may even think your husband's a moron and doesn't know what to do. That's very possible. I've met some of you. You've told me about it. But you aren't mad at him. You're mad at you. You married him. So help him become what God has called him to be. Now on divorce, we see what God says. God never desires divorce. He didn't create it. He, didn't, he doesn't want it. It's committing violence against your spouse. That's what divorce looks like. And if anyone's gone through the emotional trauma of divorce or families have seen what divorce looks like, it's gut-wrenching. It hurts. It destroys. It's painful. And, of course, we know the New Testament gives grounds for divorce as far as being unfaithful of a spouse, abandonment, physical abuse. Again, if you need to talk about any of this further, I will sit down as long as you need. But divorce is not a good thing. It's not something any of us should seek. It's like committing violence against a person, the Lord says. And so we have to stop trying to figure out how to get out of marriages and start trying to figure out how to lead better in marriages. You see, divorce should never be on the table. It shouldn't be a word that you threaten. It shouldn't be something you talk about. Divorce should be that's not an option. We're going to work through this. We're going to do what God has asked. And we're going to get through this. And even while divorce should, be un, um, should never be on the table, it's not the unforgivable sin. God's grace is sufficient. Christ's blood can take care of that. And you can repent and work through all that. And again, whatever situation you're going through, I'd love to walk and help you through that. But no sin is so great that it can exceed the cleansing power of Jesus Christ. But he does tell us this, going back to verse 16. Next slide, yeah. It says, the man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord God Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. So what he's doing, this doesn't say, the last verse says be faithful to your wife. Now he's saying be unfaithful, talking about him. It all stems from your relationship with Jesus Christ. It all stems from your relationship with him. Your faithfulness as the leader of your home or your faithfulness as the wife of your home, all of that stems from being faithful to Jesus Christ first, from knowing him. Your unfaithfulness will flow out of your unfaithfulness to him. You see, our unfaithfulness to the Lord will destroy all of our other relationships. And so next step, simply ask this. Husbands, lead. Be faithful as your role to protect your home. Be faithful to lead your children and your spouse to becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus and protect your children. In fact, this is such a big deal and it's so important. We're starting a men's ministry next month or probably September. A men's ministry focused on helping men be godly, biblical men. Helping men learn how to lead. Helping men work through relationship dynamics and all of these things. Because it's, it's the family unit that is God's ordained vehicle to produce godly offspring. And if you go, listen, I don't need a men's ministry, listen, I'm glad. Come lead it. If you know what you're doing and you got it all figured out, first I'm going to ask your spouse if that's true. (laughs) And then secondly, come lead it. Come teach all the rest of us who are trying to figure it out because that's what we're going to do. We're going to have it early in the morning to work through things, to talk about it because it's important. And it's difficult. And none of us have it figured out 100%. So starting probably in September, we're going to get together in the mornings to do that. And I ask you, men, what's it worth to you? How important is your family to you? You have a short time on this earth, and the most important thing you can do is to lead your spouse and your kids to becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Because one day you're going to be gone. And what did you leave them with? The ability to play baseball? The ability to do some math? Or the ability to connect with God and follow his will. Only one of those is worthwhile. Only one of those will lead them their entire life. Only one of those. So men fight for your families. Stand up for your families. Speak up. Be intentional about spiritual conversations. You're setting the tone for generations to come. And so how do you do that? Well, number one, lead by protecting your time of worship. Next slide. Lead by protecting the time of corporate worship. You need to show your family that coming together and that our hobbies are not as important as God. We need to teach them that church is our spiritual family and that gathering together is what he's asked us to do, so we do it. And yes, this means you're going to have to have difficult conversations, so have them. Being a leader means you're going to have very difficult conversations about things you don't necessarily want to talk about. But you need to have them anyways. And you may say, well, listen, I don't want to upset my wife if I said that it's going to upset her. Listen, the truth is she's already upset with you if you're afraid to have a difficult conversation with her. If you're not leading your home as a godly man, she's already mad at you. So you might as well pull it back to the right direction. Have her get mad at you about something good, about you stepping up and leading like you're supposed to. And if you don't believe me, ask her. There's going to be fistfights out in the parking lot, okay? No, protect, protect spouses, but lead with prayer and biblical guidance. Guard and protect your prayer time and your devotion time. And this looks different with everyone, but have spiritual conversations with your kids. Read the Bible with your kids. Ensure that your family is a part of groups and Sunday school small groups. We don't do these things because we're bored. We do them because we believe they're important to your spiritual life. And lead by learning. Take discipleship serious. Take leadership serious. It's what you're called to do. And I'm almost done, but listen, wives, you have the hardest job of them all. Wives, you absolutely do. Help your men be great leaders. No leader's ever great on their own. The secret to being a great leader is what? Having great leaders around you. That's the truth. We all already know that. Encourage them. Inspire them. Lead them to be great leaders. Coach them. Ladies, we already know coaches are smarter than the players, aren't they? Yeah, you may be smarter than your spouse. That's okay. Coach them. And help them become the leaders God has called them to be. And people turn this idea, listen, people turn this idea into saying that this is oppressing women. It's not oppressing women. What it's actually saying is that men can't do this on their own. Ladies, they absolutely need you. They need your help. They need your encouragement. They need your inspiration. And you can lead in the areas that you're good at. Absolutely. Plan or cook or or. Build, whatever you do, it doesn't matter. But the overall responsibility for leadership will fall on your husband regardless, and he will be accountable for that one day. So, husbands, you need to know that and own that. So, lead well. And remember, ladies, you were created to help because we need it. So, don't be surprised if your husband doesn't have it figured out. It's okay. And that doesn't mean take over. That means help them become the leaders that God has called them to be. God already knew we needed help, so he created you all. To bring us together, to say, they don't got it out, Mm -mm, we need them. So never give up on your husband. Never forget, he needs you. So the marriage relationship, in closing, is rather serious. God has plenty to say. We're talking about interfaith marriage. God clearly says, nope. Nope. Absolutely not. He says, it's not going to turn out the way you think. It doesn't matter how smart you think you are. It will not work out the way you think. But then we get to divorce. We see that's not good. And in the middle of all that, we see that husbands need to step up and do what God has asked them to do. And I understand I haven't been married as long as you. And I understand my kids aren't old as you. But I can promise you I know what a messy family looks like. I can tell you what a good family doesn't look like. And I want to encourage you men to do what God has asked you to do, to lead, to be the spiritual leader. And I promise you, your spouse and your children will thank you for it. And I promise you, your grandchildren will thank you for it. Lead well. And never forget about grace. None of us get this right all the time, and some of us have messed it up so badly. It is what it is. But never forget about the grace of Jesus Christ and never forget about prayer. But strive for the best life possible. Strive for doing things the way God has asked us to do them. Will you pray? Heavenly Father, we come to you in the precious name of Jesus. Lord, and we know this is a challenging, difficult topic about the marriage and the picture of the family unit and the roles within marriage. And, Lord, we just thank you for giving us clear instruction. Lord, we don't understand why you made things the way you made it. We don't understand what all that means. But what we do know is that you were pretty clear on what it's supposed to look like. So, Father, we pray that you give us all the ability to step into our roles in the family. Lord, I pray that all the men here, all the husbands here, take the responsibility to lead seriously. I pray that you bring us, bring around, you surround us together as men of this church to come together, that we have these conversations, intentional conversations about leadership, about children, about how to be great husbands. Father, we've seen the greatest example of a leader in Jesus, how self-giving and self-sacrificing and the great love he had. So, Lord, let us reflect Christ into our families. Lord, I pray for all of those who are facing difficult marriages. Whether have been divorced, thinking about divorce, or want divorce, Lord, I just I pray that your grace will break through. I pray that your forgiveness is felt at the deepest level for those who need it. I pray that you give clear guidance on the next steps on what a new relationship may look like or when a new relationship should take place. I pray for those families where they're unequally yoked. How challenging and difficult that is. And we pray for the salvation of that other partner. We pray for their salvation. They come to know Jesus and step into their roles. Father, we lift up those who are currently in those relationships trying to think about getting married. Lord, we do pray and ask that they take what you say serious. That they ask others who are ahead of them in marriage. Who are ahead of them in relationships. What does a good marriage look like? What does the Bible say about it? Lord, we ask that you give them these probing questions to seek your truth before they make such a large commitment. God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for your amazing love and grace. And Lord, many of us mess up and we still mess up all the time, especially in marriages and these roles. God, we come to you today and ask for your forgiveness. Wash us clean. Allow us to start today, now, differently. And we know this is all possible because of the amazing love you have for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.